To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome, everyone, to... Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast... With no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know the voice. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me, as always, is the man with the plan who gets things done. It's Mr. Don Moore. Hello, everybody. And once again, returning for her third time, it's Phoebe Xavier. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. How have you been? Um, I've been pretty good. I I think I might have been in Vermont last time I talked to you, and I'm down in Pennsylvania now. Holy cow. You were travel, talking travel, about going travel. somewhere in Europe before. Uh, I was talking about going to Europe, but I have not done that yet. Oh, okay. Okay. Nice. Well, Pennsylvania's oh. close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's hey, a lot gotta, of Dutch here. Yeah, I was just about to say, get into the <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch area. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I actually live in a part of the state where you see people, like, in their traditional, like, um, whether it be Mennonite or um, uh, Amish, that they ride carriages around here holy cow really <laughs> yeah holy horse and buggy <laughs> yeah. well i live in a rural county so I, I see people riding horses all the time they're just not mennonite or amish <laughs> yeah same. yeah yeah usually they're just jerks yeah. um are they like do they have buggies though because they have the horse and yeah. the buggy no it's just the horses <laughs> so you know yeah. it, 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 it's just always really funny because like for some reason, we live in a rural area, and people always go nuts when they see a horse. They're like, oh, my gosh, look, it's a horse. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a farm. Like, yeah, there's a ton of people that own them. Yeah. <laughs> Phoebe, what are you working on now? Okay, so tonight, what I'm here to do here this uh, October is to promote a uh, Kickstarter that I've had in the works for a little while. Um, it's called Viking Saga of the North. Um, it is a book that is intended to be a historical um, comic book. It's a one-shot. Um, it is the uh, brainchild of Jose Ernesto Diaz, who is the artist. Um, he did all the liner and some of the coloring. Um, a lot of the color goes is also done by his niece, um, Adriana. And um, they're both uh, located in Guatemala. So it's a fully international book. And... Um, yeah, Jose had the art and um, uh, wanted to turn it into a comic book, and I helped him navigate that path. I did a lot of the script for it. I did all the lettering for it. Um, I commissioned the logo and the title font. Um, and, yeah, we finally have a complete book, and um, we're trying to get $2,000. It's not a huge amount. Um, it's kind of a, a modest um, comic book campaign on, on, on Kickstarter. But I think um, also we're in the toughest month of the year for Kickstarter right now. So um, as I'm as I'm speaking to you guys, I think we're at about like almost 25 percent in less than a week. So as long as we keep putting out 25 percent a week, we're going to get there. But um, it's it's definitely this is a slower first week than I've seen on some of my other projects. Yeah, it's it is a hard time right now for Kickstarters with you know, holiday seasons and things like that happening. Uh, I know yeah. I've had to, I've had to back off a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> well, you got to start saving for kids and relatives for Christmas too. Yeah, yeah, that too. So. How, how did um, how did this come about? You said he had the artwork, and he, he came to you to navigate the story. How did you two meet? He was just posting on uh, one of the various Facebook comic book forums, and he was like, um, hey, I'm seeking a publisher. And I was like, well, what's your pitch? Show me what you got. And he kind of just showed me 40 raw pages of artwork and, like, no real story. And I was like, I love your art. Let's do this. Um, but uh, I think he probably would have had a harder time pitching it to a, uh, a bigger publisher with the what he had to show for it at that point. Um, but I worked with him, and we got it into a uh, publishable state. Um, I'm looking at the images. I found your, your page. These are outstanding. Now, did Thank he, you, yeah. Did you just work with uh, what he had, or did he create new stuff for it? Um, okay, so there's the one image of Odin hanging from the tree. I think we have that in, in on the Kickstarter right now. That's one that I actually said, hey, can we do this? And then I'll do like a little snippet on like their, what they believe mythologically. Um, but <laughs> excuse me, a lot of the images were already done. And um, I've been wanting to show off. Um, he mailed some of them to me. And I have like the original artwork here oh, wow. to mail out to people. Yeah. Come on, come into focus. Come into focus. Um, yeah, it looks like it's not focusing too well. But um, yeah, so we have hand-drawn, hand-inked original drawings um, offered in our rewards. That is stuff that he mailed up to me from Central America. Um, yes. Yeah, and uh, I think we have 16 in total, and I'm selling a few of them where we're offering them as rewards. A few of them are tandems, like two portraits of the smaller I want uh, character designs. And then the the bigger, like, splash page ones, like I was just trying to show you um as a, just a single because they're what 14 by 17 they're pretty big it's like post bigger than some posters yeah that's awesome i mean and and the so the images that are showing up on the kickstarter it almost looks like woodcut um yes. you know woodcut that's printing. style that's yeah that's ah. a style that he really applied to this book beautiful, yeah. it is beautiful. the colors just make it too yeah. yeah, and those are the ones I think um, you'll see on some pages the color is like um, less detailed, more cartoony. Those ones Jose colored himself, and then the ones that are richly textured, like going, like leaning into that woodcutting sort of um, aesthetic, those are the ones colored by his uh, niece, Adriana. Okay, but they both go, yeah, I can see the difference what you're talking about, but they both go well together. It's not like, it's yeah. like you know, it's not like, oh, oh you know. It's no, it's not too stark um, of, of, a, of a contrast. Um, but yeah, uh, we had a lot of time in when we had it finally arranged what the 22 pages of story were going to be. I was like, all right, well, now we need a whole panel that does this for us. Can you draw me that? And um, so, yeah, that's when uh, at the towards the end, he kind of had to do specific uh, panels for me. Right. How do you approach this? This is I find this interesting. He, he brought you the artwork. He wants to do something with it. No. Where, where, how do you do this? How do you put this together and decide what to do? Well, he had a friend he had been working with um, who had much more insight into uh, Vikings than I, I would ever have because he like uh, approached it. Uh, he studied it academically. Okay. And so he, he brought a lot of facts to Jose and was like, well, we could talk about this. We could talk about that. Like um, we talk about swords at some point in there and like the exact measurements of swords and where they were found. And I think that's a, an archaeological site that his friend had actually been on. Um, 
So there was there were certain details that his friend brought to him, but what they still didn't have when I first got my hands on it was like a narrative plot that like took us from the beginning to the end, which as a storyteller, I know is very important. That's what we that's what we need out of a story, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they just had a lot of beautiful images and some facts. So uh, I organized it into, I was like, well, if this is the Vikings, the age of the Vikings or whatever that we're telling the story of, then let's start at the start, the first uh, raid, Viking raid in the late 700s to the, what is academically considered the final battle in the Viking age, um, uh, a battle in 1066. Um, so the, um, so I set those points as like our beginning and our end, and then kind of was like, all right, you have this, uh, all this other interesting detail about like, where what they did for farming, what they did for food preservation, um, what type of clothes they wore, um, what fish or whales they actually were able to hunt or fish. Um, and then uh, just trying to cut, find like the right narrative arc for that. And um, uh, the way I, I kind of, uh, the lens through which I view it, uh, the Viking age is that like, it was a time where they all wanted to, you know, go and use their prowess in, in fighting and, in, in sailing to bring back riches for the for themselves or to gain new lands to farm on because there wasn't you know a lot of farm farmable land where they were from but like by the end once they had all basically converted to christianity it was unchristian to be raiding england or spain or any other christian nation which is why then the next several hundred years would be defined by the uh, crusades or at least they're fighting someone of a different religion then um that they're they get to still uh uh, show that prowess and bring back the riches from a foreign land, but they have to do it in the name of Jesus now and against someone who doesn't also believe in Jesus. Now, I didn't so, know that. I, yeah. I didn't know that the Vikings were involved in that. Uh. Yep. Yeah, I would say I would say that generally that's why the age ended. And yeah, they didn't stop warring. Um, actually, there were um, there were Norse and Viking um, guards in for the Byzantine emperor for several hundred years after the Viking age essentially ended because they were so well known as fighters and warriors. Yeah. It, make, it makes sense. And I'm kind of surprised Root never told me about this. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just shaking my head going, yep, everything she's saying is correct. Yep. yep. I know yeah, about yeah, the yeah, Christians so. and all that, but I never knew the, the Vikings were involved in that. But it does actually make a lot of sense. Well, all Christian nations were, really, you know, um, and if you lived under the Pope or if you lived under Christianity, it was mostly just Catholicism or the Pope at that point. There had been no um, Martin Luther, no um, Reformation yet. So, yeah, if the Pope was like, hey, let's go fight these guys, everybody in, you know, Christendom was a part of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the and like she said, the Vikings were known for being extremely fierce warriors. Yeah. Um there's even uh, I know many people are familiar with the movie 13th Warrior, but it's based on the writings of Im um, I'm going to kill his name now. Watch me. Ima I thought that was Crichton, Eaters of the uh, Dead. He based it off of actual historical writing, though. Yeah. Yeah. They found the documents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fatlan is is the is correct. I, I'm gonna destroy the first name, but uh, where he talked about the Rus, which are uh, Rus Viking, um, which is believed to be um, Norwegian Vikings that traveled across to what is now modern Russia, and they were referred to as the Rus, which is actually the only written piece of history that we have that talks about tattooing yeah. in Viking culture. Wow. 
Um, okay, so the Roos were not really from Norway. They were from Sweden. Oh, um, but yes, okay, they were, thank you. But they, they were um, coming down from Sweden, and they uh, there were rivers that ran from there all the way down to what is mo- the modern Ukraine, uh, which is the, the nation of Ukraine now. And we actually get the word slave in our language from the fact that the Rus enslaved the Slavs. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah. Thank you for the yeah. corrections, and thank you for no. I had no idea that that's actually where the word came from. Yeah, yeah. and then Rus then is also why we call it Russia now, is because um, for several hundred years the Rus ruled over the Slavs, until it got to a point um, closer to the 1200s that like the uh, the royal court was at that point both lineages. They kind of they were like, hey, they've got some hot ladies, so they started interbreeding with the Slavs, uh-huh. and like so that they were able to take the throne back and. Um, sort of put it into contention moving forward, like who's really in charge. Um, and it became, I think, less of a um, an authoritarian, like this particular ethnicity subjugates this other ethnicity. But right. um, I think that's really why a lot of Russia, the Russian um, national values to this day are like, hey, whoever's in charge is in charge and watch out because they'll fucking kill you. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's been a Russian value for a thousand years. Um, and that's why people fall out of the window when they... Um, say something Putin doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> Makes sense. I'm not saying it's good, but it happens. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it certainly does. <laughs> now, do you heavily research whenever you're doing work? I mean, because this, this one you did. But when I'm asking yeah, the question, um, today, to prepare, I I reread the CGI rendered man that you sent to me, and thank you very much. Nice. And, um, yeah, you're welcome. But, you know, and I've said this before on the show, you do a lot of different kind of aspects in your stories. Uh, I don't know what to expect when you do them. I've loved them all. Um, but a lot of the stuff you write isn't real. But it feels like I'm in the world. And uh, absolutely. And the CGI, I, I enjoyed the comic work you did with the, the tattoos. I think that's why you sent me the CGI rendered man. Thank you. But that one... Like I said, I felt like I was in a world that I've never seen before. And, well, thank you, Don. I'll... Well, like I said, when you're talking about the Vikings, I can see you've heavily researched this. You talked to somebody else on, you know, what to need. How do you how do you do this on your other stories if you're writing about something that doesn't exist? Um, I, I research obsessively. Okay, so that story, um, see the CG rendered man. Um, A, I just submitted that today to Schlock magazine or Webzine, so I'm hoping maybe to get that uh, published in there. Um, but as far as the research for that one, a lot of it went into um, the planet Jupiter and understanding the logistics of actually entering Jupiter's uh, atmosphere. Yeah. And um, so uh, I think that the the yeah, the the biggest part of my research on that book was understanding Jupiter and giving a realistic depiction of what it would be like to try to send a drone into the atmosphere to recover anything. Oh. Um, yeah, the okay, so but the other part of like where the idea for that one comes from, it's based on the Ray Bradbury story, um, the illustrated man. Yes, yes. Um, which is a similar story about how a person's tattoo like comes to life, kind of. Right. And I use more of a technological explanation than um, 
than a mystical one, um, but it's still a sort of riffing off of that idea of a, a tattoo coming to life and being prophetic, and um, and still somehow I found a way to get to a ending that would be sort of unique for the trope that I was basing on. Okay, that's an understatement, because she goes into this story, when the guy gets the tattoo, they describe the ink, they describe, you know, it's hard to get, it's expensive, and he's disappointed at first when he first got it, and then it changes as the story, and I'm not going to give this away because everybody should read this, but in the ending, <laughs> I wasn't expecting, I read the story three times when I first read it because it's okay, wait a minute, and when I read it again, okay, this makes, it's all lines up, you know it's there, but you're just, you know, reading it, you're not really paying attention, and I'm reading this on a screen, which isn't my favorite, but I, you bring up a lot of things, again, that don't exist, but but they should, and they could, and how he meets her, how how they connect, you know, and I, again, I'm trying to be real, as vague as I can. And then how the I story flows in the middle. Uh, just when he they, he gets the nickname and then puts them on stickers and starts putting them in truck stop bathrooms and stuff. I mean, <laughs> that's that's something that you would do now, but it makes sense when you're doing it around Jupiter, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just absolutely. Um, so, like I said, we're talking about the Vikings. I can see where you research Vikings, but I don't see how you, you research CG rendered tattoos that aren't a thing. Well, I, I think that some of the advantage that um, uh, the detail in that story um, has is that it takes from a larger world. Um, so many of my short stories uh, take place in that site. Uh, it's the Sidereal Apogee book. It's that timeline. So yeah. things like Holosoft technology, which is kind of like it's a um, it's a hologram, but also like it can touch you, like it could have a sensory response sort of thing. So Holosoft is something that we established in several other stories that I kind of maybe sprinkle in there kind of um, casually in, in a, in a six-page story there. Um, but it's a technology that I would have explained in a lot more detail in a few of my other stories. Um, so I do I do think the more of my short stories that you read, the more that the world will kind of like be, you know, visceral, like you, know, you can imagine being there, you could, you know, smell it or feel it. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, what was the other thing that that, oh, oh, the, the ending, the, the shock ending kind of. Um, yeah, yeah. That's something that I, I, I really strive to achieve as much as possible in as many stories as possible. And it's um, something that uh, I take the, the two art uh, writers that I read that I think are do it the best that I'm sort of trying to pursue are um, uh, Chuck Palahniuk and um, Kurt Vonnegut. No, They're both yeah. masters of like getting to the last five pages, and you're like, oh wait, that's what was going on the whole time. <laughs> um, yes. But you know, and um, you foreshadow it through the story slightly. I mean, when I say foreshadow, mm -hmm. it's it's not like I could ever figure it out. But when it happens, it was a surprise. But it's like, well, yeah, but you were kind of building to that. I could see it. But yeah, and then you <laughs> yeah. end up going back, and you're like, okay, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just gotta <laughs> scroll back because I like I, I knew I I felt like maybe this might be happening, but no, maybe yes. Oh wait, here we go. Uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Out of move, yes. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and yeah, that's the way that was story was meant to sort of that sort of effect is what I was seeking. I got you. Now, when you're writing different stories, and uh, you you. You have a wide range. Do you approach them differently? Do you have the same? I, I'm curious how you 
your ideas are all over, but um, your, your stories still- are solid. I mean, Thank your you. storytelling, your your writing, everything is absolutely solid. But how do you how do you approach these these projects? I really, I mean, I, there was a slightly different approach because of having the artwork first with Jose and having to kind of like work backwards on it. Um, but most of the time, my my formula is pretty uh, similar. And I think I've told you guys this before, but it's that if I come up with a cool title, I'm like, okay, that's good branding. That's interesting enough that if I just saw that term, I'd be like, oh, what's that about? And um, then having a good ending, having either a surprising or in some way like witty ending. And then I'm like, if I know where it starts and where it ends, I just got to fill in the details in the middle. And um, a lot of times then, especially now that I work with um, a professional editor, um, Joseph Cervellan, who edited my short story collection, um, a lot of times now, like, um, yeah, it's more about cutting out certain parts than it is like finding enough details. Because I just start writing and writing and writing and writing and then look back. We're like, did we need that? Maybe, I don't know, save that for something else maybe. Or, okay, make the sacrifice of you just wrote two sentences you're going to totally undo and never read again because it's kind of just um, filler. And um, so, yeah, I think also working with Joseph has taught me to recognize the filler as I'm typing it sometimes to be like, wait, that was unnecessary. We don't need that detail. Um, so, yeah, working with a professional editor has definitely improved my writing process. But that that's the process. Get a title, figure out an ending, and fill in the middle. That's my general process. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That it, it and and that's one of the ways that I work with my writing too is okay, grab them from go. Where is this gonna end? How does it begin? And then try and just fill in the fill in the blanks in, in between. You know. mm-hmm. So with with this particular story um, with Vikings, I also noticed that there's a short story Bluetooth as well. Yeah. Is, is this oh, a whole so short story comic or is this a, a short story uh, prose writing? It'll be prose writing about 10 pages, um, a little bit over 5,000 words. Um, that's another one that we're pitching in uh, December and January. Um, Keel Bryant, who did the cover of my short story collection. Um, I actually just reconnected with him and he is uh, painting, digitally painting a beautiful image to go along with Bluetooth. So that'll be part of, that'll get distributed as well once um, the Kickstarter funds, hopefully. Um, And okay, so the Bluetooth story is all prose, but we are gonna have a cover image. And um, I don't know if I got to talk to you guys about this before, but it's something that in several of the podcasts I was doing last uh, year, um, because I just started thinking of the idea. I talked to some people about it, but it's essentially like, it starts as a historical um, uh, example or a historical rendition of Bluetooth Harold King Harold Bluetooth uh, Gormson, who is the first king of Denmark. It's um, essentially about his uh, his life, and that's the first section. And it also has like this tone though of like you know you think you know what Bluetooth's life was about or this or that, and then but we know what really happened and we'll tell you what the real truth is at this part or that part because there are some parts of his life that are disputed historically that we really can't say one way or the other what what happened or whatever so but i i the narrative voice that i use is like no this we know so we're going to tell you the real truth and then it winds up to the point by the by the point we're at part three of the story his still his soul has been stolen um by an eldritch being and um is being used to fuel this device in the future that 
allows technology to communicate over like devices through the air and everything. So essentially they've used his soul to make Bluetooth technology. And then, but it's told then from his perspective and it's very stream of consciousness of like him feeling songs moving through him or information moving through him and how it's just like this like torturous um, sort of, uh, uh, he's, he's tortured by the, by the, his, his situation. Um, and then eventually it resolves itself. Um, but, uh, I don't want to give too much away. It was so much fun to write. It's definitely magical realism. Um, it's uh, both like you, you could almost, it could almost be real at parts and at other parts you're like, no, this is totally like a fairy tale. This is like not real. This is Bluetooth te- te- technology was not invented this way. But um, uh, I had a lot of fun writing it. And like, yeah, a lot of it is very stream of consciousness, very, um, very surreal and abstract, but I also get to reference so many pop cultural things because when I start to get to that point of like information moving through him, just like just mention anything that can be electronically transmitted and you know type it down and that's what he's experiencing. So um, I got to put a lot of weird stuff in there, a lot of like Easter egg kind of stuff. Um, I even have a cipher at one point where it's just like a series of letters that like definitely do not make sense when you first look at them, but if you're at any good at uh, decoding, that there are a couple of messages in there that people should be able to figure out. Um, and uh, yeah, that was most in, mostly inspired by um, reading George Luis Borges, um, the Argentine uh, godfather of magic realism, that I picked up his uh, book, Ficciones, last December. And it was while reading that that I had the idea for Bluetooth. And I started writing Bluetooth while I was reading that, and I put it down for a couple months, and now I'm reading another of his collections. And it definitely, his work is so powerful, it definitely inspires me to write the weird sort of complex stuff that is in that story. You know, you know what we need? We need a Phoebe Xavier reading list. You always <laughs> have like the best, like the, you come, you, you start talking about titles of books and I'm going, okay, okay. And I got, and I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to the episode so I can write them down. <laughs> yeah, we'll be okay. So an, another really good one that I read, um, uh, that was sort of magical realism that helped inspire in the last year was end of the world blues. End of the world blues by John Courtney Grimwood. Brilliant, brilliant book. Definitely something that's inspired me in the last year. Oh, and um, I do. It's like an Oprah book club sort of book, but um, A Hundred Years of Solitude is another magical realism book that I read in the last year, and it's brilliant. Um, one of the best books I've ever read. Um, and it's getting turned into Netflix by his sons who are still alive, but they refused to ever make a contract with anyone who wanted to make an English version because the original version was in Spanish. The father's like poetic voices in Spanish. So in, in the next year or two, there will be a Netflix series based on 100 Years of Solitude uh, on Espanol. And uh, I look forward to that because the book was so good. Nice, nice. I, I love the yeah. fact that they that the kids stayed true to the fact that it needed to be in Spanish too. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, these both of these guys that I'm, that I'm referencing, Borges and um, I forget, uh, Get Garcia, Gabriel Garcia, um, that um, they're they're South American. They wrote in Spanish, but the, I've only read the English translation, and the English translation is still genius. You can see like the genius that it must must be even better in the native Spanish. You you must imagine. Yeah, yeah. Everything always loses a little bit in translation. No matter no matter how good the translator is, it loses a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that was actually when I first started reading Borges that like his first three stories were about books or about translating. And they were just short stories about like this magical tome that there was only one copy of and maybe it actually came from an alternate world. But then they found the other like complementing volume in a different library. And she's like, where did this guy, and this is like a hundred years ago that he's writing this shit. I'm like, where do you get these ideas? Like in 1930, like he was yeah. ahead of his time and deeply inspiring to me. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so jump back to Vikings for a second. Um, what is the overall storyline in, in this comic? It's just telling the the historical, like, how it came to be, why the Vikings were the force that they were um, across Northern Europe. Um, so we're not focused a on little particular bit... characters. It's more historically uh, done in a comic book form. Uh, historical broad strokes. And then while we do reference some certain individuals, it's because they were very influential in the forming of a whole nation or, like, the defeat of a whole nation. Um, or the end, what is considered the end of the age itself. Um, so we mentioned a few Vikings specific, excuse me, Vikings specifically, but it's not about any of them for more than a page. Ah, nice, nice. Just tell me one thing. Is it more historically accurate than the damn show Vikings? Oh, yeah, Because <laughs> nobody gets it more wrong than that show. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're, they're so weird. They just want to, like, get certain historical characters in there and be like, see, that's Halfman. He was a real dude. And then they, like, you know, give him all these plot sort of things that don't aren't supported by history. Yeah. So, yeah, like, um, uh, what's his face? Bjorn um, Ironside, definitely there, there are things about him that are historically known. Um, but, like, having Ivar the Boneless go to Russia for a year, like, there's no historical backing for that. Like, yeah. Um, same with the Valhalla one. The Valhalla one, which is really just as good, um, but they have um, Erickson, Leif Erickson's sister, doing all this crazy shit that they're like, okay, uh, they say in the sagas, at one point, they say that she defeated a couple Native Americans. That's in the sagas. All this other shit they added in, in her, uh, to her arc in Valhalla, none of that, it, it, as far as we know, ever happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, Vikings was entertainment, but it just... Uh, I expected better of the History Channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fact that it was on the History Channel, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a word that KRS-One used to use, and it's edutainment. It's like the, the combination of education and entertainment, and yep. I feel like Vikings is more edutainment than anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. Nice KRS-One reference, too. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Don's sitting there going, who? No. Uh, when you're talking about this, I just remember as a kid, I loved Viking anything. And when I was in high school, I was talking to an historian, and he was explaining to me that it's not like the, the Kirk Douglas movie or anything like that. It's that the Vikings were actually kind of a, a simple, boring people. They could fight, they could sail. But they're not the, the guys with the horns and their helmets and stuff as much as we thought they were. Saying that, oh, I no, both I love the they didn't have those helmets. No, <laughs> no, they did not. No, that the, the motif of the helmet was Christian demonization of the more than anything okay, else. Okay, okay. I mean, how, how how better to take a group of long and make them look evil than put horns on their head? So I, I while think, we're on the subject, let's go, Jersey Devils. I'm crazy. <laughs> 
Nice. Season starts tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Light, lightning uh, Lightning didn't impress last night, unfortunately. Well, I mean, no. It did did okay. you guys already have your opening game? You already started the season? Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, our opening game is tomorrow. We went 7-0 and in the in the um, preseason. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, op- opening game was last night. Um, and uh, really the thing that I really wanted to do- go and see was Big Boy from uh, Outcasts. Did a 45-minute set out in front of the, th- the stadium last night for free. What? For everybody hey, who wait. was down there. Well, where was the game? Was it in Atlanta? Um, no, it was in it, it was in Tampa. Oh, that's amazing! That's yeah. awesome, big boy. I support that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who did so, you guys play? Um, last night was who? Who did we play last night? We did. Um, oh no, actually, no. Pardon me. We won last night. I'm thinking of the um, Blackhawks game where they finally came back at the end. Uh, no, uh, we won uh, five to three last night against the Predators. Good for you. And that was Big yep. Boys performed there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I, I, that's one thing I'll say about the Lightning is they are really good about bringing in uh, entertainment for the crowd pre sh- uh, pre-game. Um, awesome. I've gotten to see Cheap Trick play for free. Um, what? Oh, yeah. Well, and they all actually uh, live around this area, too. So. Robin Zander does. The other ones still live in Illinois. Oh, do they? Oh, well, I, uh, yeah. All right. Robin Zander does. And, but. Um, yeah. So I've. I've lived in Rockford, Illinois before, where Cheap Trick is from, and I met the one dude one time. Um, like, uh, like his nephew or grandson or something used to come to our parties, so I got to meet one of them one time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of Rockford's only claims to fame other than the Rockford Peaches. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, Phoebe, is... Is there a possibility of more Vikings Saga of the North, or is this just going to be a single one-shot and done? It, it's a one-shot, but um, Jose and I are working on a follow-up book, which will not be historical, but will involve mythological beings and um, uh, also what could have been historical Vikings, and it's going to be called Vikings uh, Arctic, the Arctic Passage. And it's going to be about um, a crew that tries to go from Iceland across the top of the world um, and um, sail around the top of Asia. And uh, one of the things I'm doing on that one is I'm featuring Yule Cat, who is the giant cat that eats children on Christmas if they don't have new clothes. Yep. And also also a, a drill elf or um, a dark elf, which is part of like the sagas and the actual um, mythological beliefs of the Vikings. And um, that him and Yule Cat are like best buds and they meet some Vikings that want to go on this adventure. And they're like, hey, sounds fun. And they tag along kind of. And um, yeah. So, oh, man. Oh, of course. I lost my ring light because my computer went out. Damn it. Right. You're still broadcasting, so you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I still exist. <laughs> oh, I love I that you. Get... I, I love a story about Yule Cat. It's it's Yule Cat is so much fun. The idea, like you're gonna get eaten if you're not wearing your new clothes. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was um, it's because it's promoting that their major industry was um, textiles, making um, things out of cotton. And so it's kind of promoting what their their country's uh, biggest product was. 
Um, I don't think the the massacre of children was supposed to be the the main <laughs> enticing theme. <laughs> yeah, but that's the part that stuck with all of us for some reason. <laughs> oh yeah, because it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, well, um, just just think about all those ugly sweaters that your family got you for Christmas that you refused <laughs> to wear. <laughs> hey, someone got paid for it though. Some some child some child laborer got paid yeah. for it. Um, it's possible I might be in the dark like this for the rest of the podcast, but um, my phone has enough energy. Oh, there we go. Who knows? Hey, all right, back to the light. Yeah, my ring light. Ooh, boom. Your work it covers a lot of different spectrums, a lot of different ideas, but they're solid. They're solidly told, and that's what amazes me. You have a very flexible imagination. But your storytelling is very grounded. And, um, you know, anybody that reads comic books likes to make up their own, uh, you know, they all have their own ideas of a, a story, a series or something. And we always joke about it with some creators because some creators take commissions and they said, look, you're going to have to have a story, not some massive, you know, space opera that goes on forever. Well, we all have one in our head, you know, but um, a lot of cartoonists that did mainstream comics even from the golden age would come up with a character say like green lantern and the writer that would get involved with it say it was just a lot of ideas all over the place but nothing you could tell a story and so they'd break it down and put it in a story which is something i can't do and it's something that fascinates me but you're able to do both aspects of it you can come up with what i'm going to say wild ideas and it's not a one-trick pony you constantly have different ideas that are much different, but Thank you. it's solid, grounded storytelling, even if the subject matter is something nobody's ever seen. Um, I think that um, one thing that I learned in writing um, is, because um, I, I had a couple X-Men screenplays that I wrote, and um, I wrote a screenplay called Fucked, which is about um, tweaker vampire hire graffiti artists in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, and so when when writing projects that big and then being like, okay, now you have to turn it into a tagline. We have to turn it into like a elevator pitch. You just yeah. wrote something that's 120 pages. Now, can you explain it in less than 10 words or in less than 20 words? So, um, so when I think, and that's an important skill that all writers should learn. And it's the ability to um, compress down into a single phrase or in a single sentence, see a whole story. Be like, okay, dude gets tattoo and this happens eventually. And then like, so I know the whole story, but it's like now fill in six pages of awesome detail of sci-fi in between. Like, um, make, do a little meandering, even though you know exactly where the story is going, do a little meandering to like fill the world out and then get to the punchline. And um, so, yeah, I think that um, the... The more experienced the writer gets, that like that they will be able to take those little tiny ideas and be like, okay, this is now a six-page story, or this is now a thirty-page story, or this is a four-comic book-ish series. You know, um, being able to scale it up or scale down um, is a skill that all writers should should learn. Yeah, oh. still working on that one. <laughs> Because we have, like like you said, the vast, like, space opera, like, epic ideas. Like, I could tell 70 issues about this one character. And it's like, yeah, but can you elevator pitch one? Because if you can't elevator pitch the one issue, then they're not going to publish the 70. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I've even seen mainstream writers that has a series or, or artists, and they may have a lot of plans, but after a while, it seems like they get tired of it. If they if they are, a, are able to do some type of big epic, it's rare to see them finished. One, maybe the sales aren't up there, but I noticed Isn't even that- if some of them finish, they just kind of unravel because you can see that they've lost interest, you know, so. Isn't that what happened to Game of Thrones? Ugh. <laughs> I don't even care about the last book at this point. <laughs> yeah. And because he stopped caring about it during the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. The way, the, <clears throat> you cannot tell me that this man told the writers of the TV series how the book was going to end. And this is the alternate ending that they came up with so they didn't ruin the book. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, no. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. No. no. <laughs> no. Um, but it was. Co- there's a couple of his ghostwriters that went on to do the Expanse series. So oh. I do love those guys. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I, I've, I've rewatched that three times now. That yeah, is a brilliant, brilliant series. You know, I, you know, Don, if you haven't watched the Expanse yet, you need to, because you want to talk about sci-fi that is grounded. Yeah. There's a show yeah. that actually pulls it off and does a nice, nice they- job of it. They really thought out like what it would be like to have civilizations growing in the uh, the asteroid belt or any of the outer um, deeper moons or whatever. Um, the, the the way the belters are like stretched out, elongated, thin people because gravity never like scrunched them down. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's really really intelligent sci-fi. And then by the uh, I don't know if you also read the books, Rook. Did you read the three that go at the end? Not yet. Uh, okay, so I, I read them. Okay. And, and the, like the way they finally make sense of what the proto molecule is doing, they even without fully explaining it, they give an explanation that you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's that's why we have both the ability to travel from star to star and some other force that's trying to prevent us to tra- from traveling from star to star. Nice. Um, they, they they definitely tie it up in a nice way. Um, and then they have a short story book that that uh, adds to the the whole world called Memories Legion. I just finished that like a month or two ago. Um, but yeah, those guys are brilliant. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. So Phoebe, where will everybody be able to find Vikings and you across the internet? Okay, so for right now, Vikings is on Kickstarter. Uh, and it's Vikings Saga of the North. And um, I think there's maybe like an underscore between each word. And I think that's the same way we are on Instagram is Vikings Saga of the North. And I think with an underscore in between each word. Um, I'm telling people where I am on Twitter again um, because you can't get suspended on Twitter anymore, apparently. Um, <laughs> no. Um, and so I am at Kara Kilgrave 77. That's um, Purple Girl from um, the Alpha Flight books or subsequent, like, she was in, like, um, whatever it was, the Heroes, Inc. or Heroes for Hire. Um, she's friends with Jessica Jones. Um, but I stole her identity when Twitter was trying to um, ban me. So I'm on Twitter as at Kara Kilgrave 77. Um, on Facebook, we're 123Go Publications. Um, on uh, Instagram, I am at Phoebe123Go, um, but I don't really use uh, Instagram that much. And I'm definitely not on TikTok or Twitch or any of that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 46 years old. What the fuck is Snapchat? 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't get Snapchat either. <laughs> My wife loves <laughs> Never heard of it. Taco's <laughs> so. never heard of it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but the kids I work with, like, if I'm working with 20-year-old kids, they're, like, all talking about their Snap. I'm like, what? <laughs> no. I still remember younger people always talking about MySpace. What's MySpace? Well, they got a MySpace page. What is that? I mean... Yeah, I'm always way behind on the stuff. But, um, well, I was making music during MySpace, so I would do a MySpace page just to spread music. Yeah. Well, that's what it was for originally was bands, and then it it changed. I know. Um, I was watching CNN, and they were talking about MySpace, but at the time it was the biggest thing in the world. And they said, well, it may change once you start getting parents and grandparents on it. Well, it went away, and that's what Facebook turned into. Uh, when yeah, I first Facebook went on too. Facebook in 20, you know, 2007, I, I think I was the only person over 40 on it. You know, it was a bunch of kids. And now it's, I think the kids are gone and it's all, you know, older people. It's, yeah, the kids are on TikTok and Twitch. <laughs> which yeah. I never heard of. <laughs> or, so. or Periscope, yeah. I never heard of that one. <laughs> Yeah, or Instagram, I guess. Yeah, but I'm not on Instagram too much. <laughs> All right. Well, if you like to draw, we're always looking for fake comic book covers to promote the show. New episodes on Facebook and the Facebook group. Um, if you got something, just send it to the contact page and we can reformat it. If you're any kind of musician, singer, performance artist, if you can put on MP3, we're always looking for a music break when we don't have a guest. Uh, we've gotten very few of these, but when we have, they've been wonderful. So don't don't be shy. Send it in. Also, if you'd like to support the show to help us with the hosting fees, we have a T-shirt on the sidebar of the blog. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Rook? Everybody, check us out at bunchofdorks.com. Click on the Cyclops. Join the Facebook group because you get to see things that I've been backing on Kickstarter. I post them there every time I back it. Just tonight, as we're talking, post it up. Vikings Saga of the North for everybody to check out. <laughs> Go support the wonderful Phoebe Xavier. We love her. Of excellent, yes. excellent yes. writing. Until next time, everybody. Read more comics. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops. Your dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.